You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. This is The Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. All right, it's been pushed. You didn't even know I was going to push it today, but I did. And you are coming to me from the future, kind of. Yes. Yeah, do you want to know what it's like? What is it like in the future, six hours from now? It's a little darker. Okay. It actually just finished raining. Okay, so I can expect rain in six hours? Yeah, it smells strangely like salmon. Hmm. So do with that what you will. (laughs) <laughs> you cook salmon for dinner over there in Ireland, yeah, did you? Yes, yes, we did. Okay, some fresh caught well, salmon. Ooh, you've been working on your accent. I don't, I don't know what that was, but it wasn't, it wasn't American. Some, like a Scottish mix in there. How's, uh, how's life over the big pond, Bracken? You spent your birthday in Ireland. You haven't been sleeping much, I hear. Nope. What have you been doing? Powering through. I'm watching a lot of movies, Kirk. <laughs> I'm watching a lot of YouTube. <laughs> You go to Ireland to watch movies and YouTube? Well, at, at night, in the hours that the rest of the house is sleeping. Did you hear that? House. That was a yeah. real youper. <laughs> oh. Everyone said, I don't think I have a terrible accent, but a lot of people, someone asked me today where my accent's from, but boat and house, I know I say a little differently than like the rest of Milwaukee. It's a little more up north, and that just hit me hard. I haven't heard my voice in my headphones in a while. Mm-hmm. And I've been only hearing uh, Irish accents for the most part, or British accents. So to hear that word, that was jarring. That sounds nice. I, boat, I get, and then I also like. I can't say the word "growing." Apparently, everybody makes fun of me for saying the word "growing." Someone here. I want to say my sister. I think Mariah uh-huh. says "growing." I don't know. I just can't do it. You're growing. Growing. <laughs> what? What's wrong with how I'm saying "growing"? You're growing. If your groin's growing. Growing. Yeah. Well, anyway, so we all have our, we all have our, uh, how do you say the word faults. coin? Coin. It's not Cohen. <laughs> Back off, Bracken. <laughs> Sir, Phonetically, you I'll Cohen. figure it out. Suck it, Bracken. All right. So I don't know how we got trip. to you on this. This is supposed to be about me. Yeah. I, is, I'm watching yeah. a lot of Netflix because I'm not sleeping at night. Okay. Falling asleep at four or five each morning, but everyone else is asleep at the latest midnight. So I've just got time to kill. And because you end up shifting a little bit, like sleeping movement compared to I'm awake and trying to stay still is not equivalent. And I figure that out the first night where I'm like, I'm just going to sit here quietly, but six hours is a long time to try to not make noise and shift the bed and the stuff. So shift, shift the bed. That's a, so I've been going oh, yeah, downstairs on the couch. Yeah. So as much as you've traveled, I'm surprised that you haven't been able to acclimate to the six hour difference. I think what it is, is I don't generally travel overseas with children. And so I acclimate however I want to. I just sleep when I want. And then my trips are usually pretty short overseas because they're mostly races. So I just don't notice that I'm not keeping normal hours because I'm the only one sleeping. But when other people acclimate better or are more tired, then it then it makes it apparent that you're not. So maybe mm. I've just never developed that. Although yeah, we went to I'm... Spain with the kids and... It was much different than this. We slept like rocks in Spain. Hmm. I don't know what it is. 
Well, I bet by the time you uh, you acclimate to the time difference, it'll be time to come home, and then you'll do it yeah. all over again. Yeah. Got uh, five more nights. It'll be just about time. <laughs> yeah, perfect. All right. I went on a I went on a run today. Before we get to your run, I did a. Mm-hmm. We're on the we're on the ocean. We're probably a quarter mile from the sea, and there's something nice. that's called the Cliff Walk Path, and it's pretty sweet. You you are never out of sight of the ocean the entire run unless you're shrouded by hedges. And then you're right back around. So you can just watch the ocean the entire time. And it's a trail. And I went out and then I tempoed back today. And I got zero segments. Were there segments at least? The, the entire time. There were probably so 12 some speedy segments. speedy folks out there running that trail? What kind of pace were you running and still not able to attain crowns? Uh, on the way back, I averaged 623. And... I mean, it's a, it's a trail. It's got some stairs on it. You know how that goes. It's rocky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's some up and down. I don't know what my vert was today. Let's let's take a look at my Strava. I had it up because I loaded right before this because I wanted to see if I could brag about a, a KOM or anything. I got a thousand feet on the run, so five miles back, about a hundred feet per mile. Went six twenty. Last two miles were sub six, and I got no crowns. Yeah, you got some um, trophies. I'm looking oh. at it though. Yeah, but a but a hundred feet per mile. But oh, you got a lot of some second, a fifth. All right, couple you, seconds. You know where to go. You know where to go. Snipe those later on in your trip. I missed two of them by three seconds. One of them is a two and a half mile segment. I missed it by three seconds. You pounded home in six oh six and five forty five. Nice job. Is that what it said? My watch beeped yep. five fifty eight and five like forty nine. It always gypsy that way. Either way, they can run here too. Apparently, I still mm-hmm. haven't gone to a country where I'm the best runner. But one day I'm going to find one. All right. Well, or I won't. I would, if I would do, I would, I would really figure out where those segments are and like I'd make a fartlek style interval session just to just to do it to kind of piss on somebody else's territory. It's I don't good know if feeling. I have it in me. <laughs> okay. All right. But I want to hear about your run. I'm sure much of the audience already saw your run on Strava, and you posted about mm-hmm. it a bit. Just got a little bit of video from you, which is good. I like seeing yeah. that. But you decided not to do the Superior 50k. Correct. Because you didn't want to run on road and gravel, I assume. So, yeah, that's a whole deal in itself. So um, I decided to run the 50K, the Superior Trail 50K. Jess and I packed up on Friday, everything together. Said, you know what? Like, I'm going to go anyways. Why not? One of my clients spends a lot of time up there, my in-gym clients, and she says, yeah, those, like, minimum service maintenance roads are beautiful. Like, you're going to feel like you're out in the middle of nowhere anyways. And so, so what if it's not the Superior Hiking Trail? Did she say it was said, trail-like or is it gravel? It's a mix, um, okay. it sounds like. But anyways, um, so we pack up, start driving up, and I had an athlete call on the way up. So I made, yeah, I, was, I was talking on the phone, and I pulled over to email myself a reminder about an hour into the drive. I'm like, I just need to email myself this so I don't forget to go modify his plan when I get back because otherwise mm-hmm. I'll forget. And I pull up my email, and there's another email from Superior Trail Race saying – the course has now been modified again. It is now a 2.1 mile out and back. Rinse and repeat. You can do as many laps as you like. Uh, one of the bridges that we were supposed to cross uh, had crumbled with all the high water and not crumbled. It was unstable to like they couldn't allow us to run across it for safety reasons. So they chose a 2.1 mile out and back route. You could do one to eight laps and it wasn't really even a race anymore. 
And so I sat in my car for 20 minutes with Jess and I was like, how far did I do? How far? I was an hour, hour into my drive. I was an hour into the drive. Oh, that's maddening. So we're sitting in an automotive shop in this small little town, like just, you know, like a one stoplight town. I'm like, I couldn't decide, couldn't decide. I'm just sitting there like kind of pulling my own hair out and I just get in the car and start driving north again. I'm like, well, I'll just keep driving anyways. And then I got to an intersection, slammed on the brakes without even much thought, pulled a U-turn and drove home. And then I was like, well, okay, that's not happening anymore. And then I still wasn't sure. So we started driving home and I said, I'm going to call the hotel and see if I can get a refund. If I can't get a refund, then that's my sign. We should just turn back around again and go up there. And I called and they were like, yeah, we can give you a refund. We've been getting a lot of that today. And I said, thank you very much. So I continued driving home Friday. Good for them. They didn't have to do that. No, they did not. It was very they could not, say and I will you're within twenty four hours. I was within four whatever. hours. Yeah. Yeah. And any and so um so I'll go I'll go back and stay at that hotel. But anyway, so that's how last minute my decision was to go run a solo fifty K, which I intended to be a solo thirty nine miles. And then once I got into the effort, I realized I wanted to work hard. And I thought, well, let's just get through the marathon and then we'll see what bonus mileage my body has left. And then at that point, um, I, I realized 50K would have been a good stopping point for me. So that was Saturday so that's morning? That's what happened. Yeah, that was Saturday morning. So what time was the race of, supposed to start? 7 a.m. And you were in the car when? Or you were in the car was, Friday night? Friday night, correct. Oh, gotcha. So you went back home completed your pre-race ritual, got up and went by yourself to Afton? Correct, Afton State Park. Well, Jess came with me. Correct. Um, started my run at 6.59 a.m., so right about start time. I just kept on a schedule, got up early, did everything as if uh, it were race day. Yeah, and just ran off onto the trails. I want to hear about it all because I watched the stories, but I just want to tell you what my reaction to the stories were as i saw you were not where you were going to be i knew you did it alone right Mm -hmm. away and then then i started to listen to hers but i paused and i thought what was my first what was that trail 50k like that last one i did and i was alone for from mile seven on completely Mm -hmm. alone because siegel dropped me when i dropped my water bottle he would have dropped me anyway but he he went earlier or later, he had stead. I think I think you would have won if you didn't drop your water bottle. <laughs> that's what I think. Uh, I think we both know that's a pipe dream <laughs> against that man. Uh-huh. So, anyways, I I went twenty two miles solo, but there is the the that wane anticipation of seeing people throughout that yep. race, and I and I kept. I, I just fed off that. The next time they see me, I'm going to be here. And the next time I see a volunteer or the next, my dad was out there. Next time I see him or at the fin, I can't wait, you know, to, to, to be announced coming in. None of those things matter, but they matter in that moment. They're the thing that gets you through another kilometer, a K at a time, mile at a time, whatever you're, you they set do. your watch to. You didn't have any of that. So even though we were both <laughs> alone, essentially, we did not have the same experience. And I was terrified for you. The idea of running <laughs> 31.1 miles solo, especially because if they haven't watched your stories, you had your truck set up as your aid station and you'd come yeah. in and fill up. So you had your way out each time. My aid stations were on the path. There was no way out. Oh, yeah. You had an easy, comfortable out for when it gets bad. Invariably, it gets bad. That's a tough setup. That's a tough way to do it. It's the only way I could have done it, though, really. 
I know. You know, I I didn't have enough on me for like all the water I would need. You'd typically rely on aid stations to refill your water bottles and not enough room in my pack to carry all my fuel. So, um, yeah, that was sort of the the option. And the only way to get back to the truck, which you can't see in the videos, is it's like you got to climb 200 feet, up, feet out of the valley. The parking lot is up high and mm-hmm. all the trails fall down into the valleys. And so it's like I've anytime you want to. Yeah. Anytime you want to go get something, you're like, well, I got to do a. And a climb out of this this valley here so that was fun towards the end but um i got out there running and i was like you know what i don't just want to go run a 50k i don't want to just go run 39 miles to celebrate my birthday like i want to go out there and work a little like i didn't go to big bear to do this i didn't oh i forgot that like i chose to do some other things that excited me more and then my race got smoldered and so I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go work like a bit. And then I got into it and realized I'm like, I'm going to run a hundred feet of gain per mile average and try to run the marathon under seven minute pace. And then I'll decide from there how I'm feeling. And if I want to go 50 K or 39 miles at like what I call like survival pace, right? If, if it so chooses. Mm-hmm. Uh, t- and, talk uh, about the, tr- the tr- trail because sub seven pace for a, marathon means different things on different surfaces yeah this trail is uh you've been on it some of it's technical and windy and it slows you down some of it's open sort of gravel where you could drive a truck down and a lot of it is sort of winding prairie on you know you have like an upper shelf and a lower shelf and the trail kind of climbs and dips back down into the river valley and um so there's some clean running and there's some slow running really Mm -hmm. i mean i'd say it's a good balanced trail but you can't get very far without a climb and the climbs there are between 150 and 250 feet. I would say when you hit one, so again, they use this one big Valley rim that you basically go in and out of. So, um, that was that. And so I got into it and I'm like, you know, when I had time to run, I was running like six ten pace. And when I hit a hill, I'd be running something else. And, and then I got to about 24 miles or so. And I was smack on the nuts at seven minute pace, like two seconds off. I'm doing the math in my head every mile. Right. And I'm like, and then I start realizing, like, I'm out of water, I'm out of fuel, I need to get back to the truck, but it's uphill to get to the truck, but I still want to run my seven-minute pace. And so I How decided... How far were, were you from the truck? About a mile and a half. So you'll hit and the marathon. You decided to time the marathon getting to the truck. Well, it just all worked out to the point where I was like, I'm going to hit the marathon before getting to the truck, but I need to get to the truck so I can refuel, and it's uphill a bit. And so I'm going to have to put out here this last mile and a half to keep had, my sub seven minute pace. You had to close sub seven uphill to get your goal. Yeah. Right. A mile that had about a hundred and I don't know, 50 feet of gain or 200 feet of gain with no downhill. This is like the gradualist way up to the truck I could find. Okay. And so I was like, well, heart rate's going to the one seventies and I'm just going to let it go. And I'm going to, I'm just going to work. And I did, I worked through it and I came through in like six fifty nine pace on average with about 3,000 feet of gain. And then I got up to the truck, uh, and I was like, I think I'm done pushing for today. I think I'm going to, I think I'm just going to enjoy these last five miles. And, uh, that's shot? what I did. Uh, yeah, my hips were just smoked. It, I, I have not put in the right volume. I've only put in one three hour long run with you. Everything else has been two oh, hours. That was the bracket. only one. I've only put in two hour runs and one, two and a half hour run, which was on the treadmill. So I just thought, you know, old bank accounts could get in and it could. My fitness, fantastic. My heart, lungs responded like champs. It was the soft tissue breakdown, like my hips and my left 
like my hip flexors and, and my hips eventually started going on me. It was all damaged. My engine was ready to rock, but wow. after about, after ripping those descents, trying to keep a good pace and make up time there, yeah. uh, it just added up. And so I turned into an old man, like from mile 24 to 27. And then it was uh, survival. So I came through the 50 K in 346, um, which I was happy with. And I came through the marathon in 303. Oh, something I think is what the marathon was on the trails and then uh snail pace with Jess afterwards, which was really nice. Cause I was barely moving. So, um, that was my Saturday. So you went three forty six for a 50 K solo, mm-hmm. which is a PR, but it wasn't a ton of vert. It was like 3,100, 32, non equivalent courses, but h- how much was your total vert? They're almost just under 3,200, but basically after the marathon, I avoided all me and Jess just went on the flats as much mm-hmm. as we could. Yeah. That's a, that's a big effort. And that's not a slow 50 K. No, that's all right. I don't think anyone would turn their nose up at three forty six. Yeah. I felt good about it. I wanted to do something with sure. my fitness. I did. It's so. your first time under four. Yeah. First time under four. Well, it's my only second 50 K third, third 50 <laughs> K. Technically, technically, but yeah. Technically a marathon, Pierre. Technically a marathon, Pierre, yes, I believe. You're still not a sub three marathoner. I know. It's just, I could have done it. I really think I could have done it if I if I knew that's how it would pan out. And then I would have basically walked the last five miles, but whatever. Okay. What did you wear? It looked like to me your Speed Goat 5 showed up in the mail. Showed up Friday after, when I returned home after deciding not to run the race. There were Speed Goat 5s waiting for me at the door. <laughs> Did you <laughs> so break them like, in? Yep, and they were fantastic. Perfect mix between cushioned and fast, not a blister. I had backups in the truck in case they didn't yeah. work out, but I was I just wanted to, I wanted that extra motivation. You know when you get a cute new outfit and you want to go oh, show it off at the gym? I mean, <laughs> you don't have to analogy a new pair of shoes to me, Kirk. <laughs> you get it. So th- those were helpful. So I put those on, and uh, they were great. I was very impressed with them. How far did you run in on Friday? I didn't. Oh, you didn't pr- test, test them out? Nope. Oh. Just put those babies on and let her rip. So your first run was in in those shoes was the 50K. Yes, sir. If that's not a glowing endorsement, I don't know what is. Yeah, not one hot spot, nothing. So that I mean, Anyways, we know this story, but that was my introduction to the speed goats. It was the threes. I tore my Nepali ATRs four days before the race, and this was all I could find in my size was a pair of speed goat threes. I did one run, maybe two, four mile, like a two mile shakeout, and then I I raced my fifty k. Same thing. They're just they they out of the box. They work. Yes, they do. Every pair of them I've had. Same thing. So you love the Evo Speed Goats. Love them as much as anyone I've ever known. And you like the Speed Goats themselves a lot. How is the Speed Goat 5? It's exactly what I would expect. It is in, If you mashed them together, it is the perfect. You got 50% of the genes from mom and 50% of the genes from dad. The upper of the Speed Goat, the Evo Speed Goat, which is just much more form-fitting to the front of the foot. It's more responsive. I feel like I can get on my toes just a little better based on how it just kind of hugs my foot. Um, mm-hmm. But there's enough to it where you can go put long stuff in. Like I would be comfortable even racing like a trail half marathon. I think I could run fast in a shoe like that um, uh-huh. if I still wanted to. Yeah. But it's not as pillowy as the the original, the Speed Goat 4s or the 3s. It just loses okay. a little bit of its pillow, but not much. Um, wow. I, think it's a, I think it's a significant upgrade. It's a more well-rounded shoe that you could take and – uh, I felt fast in it. I don't feel fast in my my speed goat fours or threes. So, 
um, yeah, I would highly recommend. You feel the weight difference? Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. The speed goats can feel clunky, and these didn't feel clunky. Yep. You had that fire red on there? Some orange? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. Zoomies. So, um... That was it. So I'm going to reset this week, uh, do some cross training, and then maybe go for my first run back next weekend, take about a week off if I can. I'm already ready to run like I wanted to run today, so that's a good sign, but I shouldn't. It's a real good sign. Mm -hmm. Did you – this will kind of lead into what we're talking about, but did you learn anything for when you prep for your first marathon, either soft tissue lessons or fueling lessons or pacing anything? Yeah, 100%. My fueling's on point. Like I know what works for me. Yeah. The chews just work. They just work for me. I didn't think about my gut one time. Um, but what I realized is I did not spend enough time on feet and training. Um, this was sort of a last minute decision for me to focus on an ultra again. And so my long runs just weren't where they needed to be. And that like that impact really caught up with me and just rendered me useless after about 26 miles. And that was softer terrain. And so when I tackle the marathon, I need to be on the roads, putting in real miles. I need to put in high effort, high tempo miles on the road. That resistance to impact is going to be what gets me. I think not my cardiac cardiac output. So I need to consistently damage the legs for longer on my long runs. What like do you think it. about that? Yeah. I think that that's been the theme, the, a 10 K trail race in, in San Luis Obispo to Tennessee mile, six hours to a 50 K to a road marathon. The whole gauntlet is, can you withstand the damage of what you're going to put yourself through paired with, can you put out effort at the level you want to? And if you've already got the effort mostly in place, now you just got to get used to that impact. I think that's really what it comes down to for most people. And we actually talked about this a little bit with the interview with the PT guys on Friday, but it's like, it's the, the damage from the impact that's going to end up getting you more than like your inability for your heart to keep pumping the right amount of blood and your lungs to fill with enough oxygen to support your body. Like that's all going to continue to do what it should do. It's just going to be like, you're going to break down at some point physically, and that's, what's going to slow you down in these long efforts. And anybody who's done them knows this, but like pretty soon you're, everything hurts, but you could have a conversation with the guy next to you, but you're truly working as hard as you possibly could Mm -hmm. yet having a full blown conversation because you can't even work as hard as you want to anymore because you're structurally have taken so much damage. And so like, that's, that's that's the trick. Yeah. Well, before we get started, I do just have to make a confession. I got to get something off my chest. Okay. Listening to you talk to your PTs and then putting that episode out was difficult for me. I feel Aww. like this must be what an actor or actress's significant other would feel like watching their partner do a love scene in a movie where you know <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. You know that's what their job is. You've probably talked about it beforehand. But it still is difficult to see them with someone else. <laughs> I wasn't with anybody else, Bracken. I was solo tripping. Yeah, but you were with them and I wasn't there. And and I felt... Mm. <sighs> and there were three people. So it was like I wasn't... Like I was just replaced. And I know we had talked about it. I know this is what our relationship and jobs require. But I was still watching you film a love scene with someone else. And there was that little twang of... I don't know. Mama Bear came out. I know what it's like to be on The Bachelor in its own right. I almost deleted the episode on it, quote unquote, accident and said, oh, sorry, Kirk, we lost that one. We're going to have to do that again together. (laughs) 
Well, it's adorable you listened to it, and I'll tell you that much. You did well. You know, you and, you and your brother did an episode when I was away, and I, I had a similar feeling. And I thought, you know, you did a pretty dang good job, too. I was like, man, they sounded good without me. Did they, am I even needed here? That oh, sort of you, feeling. Don't you even let your mind go yeah. there, Kirk. I know. It's terrible. You want to intro this, baby? Yeah, let's intro it. Um, we're we're going to talk about what to do after you uh, you have a bad race. Mm-hmm. After you shit the bed, you go and, you know, put emotional investment and time investment into training, racing, spend money to go all the way across the country, tell everybody that you know that you're going to race and you're out for blood, and then you go out there and lay an egg. And then you feel real bad and real depressed, think you want to quit, embarrassed because you told everybody you'd crush it and you didn't. And then you start doing that soul searching for some reason. You know, after that race doesn't go well, like, how do you handle the week after a bad race? And we followed up a few conversations with sea levelers who went out to Big Bear and raced at altitude in the mountains, you know, and um, we know how that can go sometimes for people. And there were some tough goes. I had a few of those conversations this past week, and it just seemed top of mind. Mm -hmm. Well, in our last training Tuesday, talking about how it was interesting to us to have conversation with with athletes, especially high-end athletes who maybe overreacted to positive or negative races and made mistakes in their training as a result. It really, I mean, we addressed some of that in there, but it begs the question, how do you not do that? And we talked Mm -hmm. about some of that, but we really want to drive home the negative race part of it because there's too much emotion tied with that. In a good race, you don't learn oftentimes because it clouds what went wrong. But in a bad race, you learn too specifically sometimes and it you have to go into defeat with the right mindset and it is worth exploring a little bit today because the vast majority of us nail less races than we fail in terms mm-hmm. of hitting all of our goals or winning or attaining a time those perfect days are few and far between I think that's what keeps us coming back, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Especially with the sport of OCR, but distance running in general is like not attaining everything that you want to attain and continuously being like hungry for more to go up for redemption, right? Like that's a, that's a common theme. Yeah. So where, where do you want to start with this? There's a few jumping off points we could begin at, but how early in the process of a bad race do you want to start? Well, I want to start with uh, your last bad race, the last one that you were, what, I don't know what it would be in your mind that you feel like the last time you went out and had a race in which you were not proud of nor happy with the result, like what was your process? What race was that? What was the outcome and what was your process afterwards? Well, I'm rarely satisfied, as you know, <laughs> and, unless things, even when I win, a lot of times I feel like I'll escape rather than sees what's there so let's just go back what was the last big race i ran as as a pro that wasn't a team race you ran jacksonville and had a bum calf okay that would be one let's go back the previous one alabama u.s national series race that year prior i did jacksonville and alabama within four weeks of each other i think five mm-hmm. six whatever that was let's go let, let, let's let's do that okay start there well i'd started in jacksonville and i had gone out first 400 meters i was probably within an arm or two of the lead and i just 
didn't trust me. And, and I've rewatched the footage so many times, especially in the days afterwards, because they did a good job putting the footage out at that time. And mm-hmm. I just let people move around and I never reestablished. I, I was tentative and it's, those aren't courses where you're going to make up big chunks of time in the second half. And so my only thing that I worked on was get out hard and be aggressive. I talked with Ian Kasky about it a bunch. I talked with you, talked to some other people and I went out and I co-led the first half mile of Alabama. Mm-hmm. And then and I was like, shorts. yep, I, I went, I went pure runner mode. I went cross country mode. I thought I need to think of this like a running race. And so I wore split shorts and singlet just to get me in the mindset. And I got out hard and I felt okay. And it, and then I, I had one tough obstacle that was the barbed wire crawl, actually. I, you had three options, left, center, or right. And I went center and I got stuck a little bit and didn't have the energy to make a hard pass and like surge around in a crawl and I came out and then I was a little tired and then I wasn't fast through obstacles and then I came off that gauntlet right there it was right about mile one I don't know if you recall that gauntlet we did barbed wire crawl helix mm-hmm. perk hoist and then ran a little bit and did spear throw yep, twister spear and, then, throw there, yep. and then basically ran for five miles yep and I settled right back into like 550 pace running I'm pretty runnable terrain and I kept mm-hmm. looking down thinking I was probably running 510, 515 pace to start. And I wanted to settle into 530-ish and fade to 540. And I'm settling into 550. And that means mm-hmm. I'm only going to fade into the sixes. And I just lived in threshold zone the rest of that race. Which, as you know, in a 10K trail race, you can't be at threshold. It hurts like 10K effort but it's mostly mental fatigue and i just accepted defeat and ran comfortably hard the rest of the way and you let me catch you or ninth i didn't let you catch me but Mm -hmm. i let the race dictate my running rather than vice versa okay you were just you were heavily disappointed after that race huh i was too we finished right next to each other. You, I got stuck. I couldn't get my fingers under the tire, and you passed me on the tire flip of all things. I think these me by tiny like, little fingers, Kirk. They just I think you beat me by like three seconds. That's before we even started this thing. Yes, that was a was. while ago, twenty nineteen, I think that was. Yeah, and I, so I was, I was disappointed in my fitness. I was disappointed in my commitment to training, and I was disappointed in my, my my mind i was i was upset with how i refused because kempson was on a tear and vj was on a tear and i Mm -hmm. was really upset that i didn't race mentally the way they raced it doesn't matter if you can physically race like them i didn't seek it out and they sought it out and so on three fronts i was very disappointed with myself okay all right you walked me through i was there i remember all of that i remember jacksonville beforehand where I came off a fourth place finish and thought I was going to even try to improve on that in Alabama. And I ended up ninth, so I didn't. But um, so what did you do then? What what, do you, what does a pro athlete, in quotes, do the week after a bad race? I kind of quit. That's right. You did kind of quit for a little bit there. Yeah, I t- like I tactively, tactically quit. I decided I have no business because I talked to Matt B. Davis at the start line and he said, what do we expect out of you? I said, well, I'm not here to try to do anything other than win. Like I didn't show up here to lose. 
I may not win, but I'm going to run for it. And he kind of gave me a, do you realize what year this is, Bracken? And I was really upset with him, like his facial expression when I said that. And afterwards, he was proven right. And he was mm. very justified in, not, in thinking that was a bit much to think that I'm here to win. So I was... I was furious with myself and I and I said on I was with Benny at the time I think speaking of old flames and jealousy. Oh. Yeah. And I said from this is it. I have no business being on this course until I know I can run com- you know comfortably sub 16 in a 5k until I am fit until my body weight is where I want it to be and until my mind is locked in. I need to string together months of a training plan and once I hit all that I'll be back. And along that path, I started training for my first ultra and that was as my meniscus deteriorated and it culminated with surgery. So I never, that was it. That was the last U S national series race I ran until Jacksonville when I made an abbreviated training block to try to get back out there. And I tore my calf a mile in, Mm -hmm. but really that was the last U S national series race I finished. And I stepped away to get my mind and body right. And I haven't been back in that sense since that race. Okay. That's not fully true. However, to an extent, I never week, I never checked those criteria that I set for myself that day. Yeah, because you shifted and you had decided that you know what, I don't need to be ready for everything I jump into. It's okay to just jump in and get myself ready through the process. I think you ultimately ended up landing on that with down the, the road. Yeah, but with the broad picture of I just need to be back sub 16 comfortably. Like I at the drop of the hat, I need to be a sub 16 guy and dialed in mentally which both come from uninterrupted but then it was surgery one surgery two calf all that it's been it's been the train wreck that we all know and are sick of me talking about but i quit after that race until i was ready to come back so i i fully overreacted to that race in my mind it was justified but i overreacted rather than doing what we've seen some people let's say aaron newell do oh yeah i wasn't in shape to run with the guys i wanted to but i got out hard i led with them for a while and once we get to courses that better suit me, I'll just be even in better shape from now. And I'll just keep pushing and keep throwing eggs at the wall. I didn't do that. Mm-hmm. Would you recommend that for the people who have recently laid eggs on the race course? I think it really depends. I think that you have to choose correctly. I made the wrong choice for me. If you were new to the sport or old to the sport and really fragile, which it sounds like I'm describing me, but I'm not mm-hmm. in this version yeah you might need to take an extended step back and fix some big fitness holes do it all correctly and get yourself for that another big shot but for me where i'm mid-career i was 33 i was a little bit out of shape and still thinking that i should be the man i need to keep showing up and just keep getting the runs in in between and race myself back into it i made the wrong call even though i had all the right justification i way overreacted because in reality ninth and then eighth at back-to-back national series events is not bad in the sport the problem was i had taken a three-year hiatus when the sport wasn't as good and if i wasn't top three i was disappointed now sometimes an eighth place finish is just as good as taking top three was seven years ago and I hadn't mentally gotten used to having people that much, those many people that far in front of me. And mm-hmm. I didn't handle it well. So I overreacted. And I think that's the first thing you can't do to a race is overreact to a result. 
Well, you're allowed to overreact for a short period of time because emotionally, yes, right. You can't help it, right? It's just going to be you're going to feel that way without purposely feeling that way. But then, you know, you fly back home, you sit on the plane, you think about it. You're back home and you have your training written out for the week, and that's where like that's where the problems can start, in my opinion. You can throw yourself a pity party for a day or two, but just to speak in your point, like. If you're in that camp where you show up to a race and you know you're not quite where you need to be, but you throw your hat in the ring anyways, you know, you see people time and time again. You use Aaron Newell as, a, as an example, and he's a great example because he's had injuries and he's come back from them and then performed very well at the end of the year. Nobody's bad an eyelash at what he's done early in the year, no. right? Nobody has. And then you look at Robert Killian, the world champ. Even in the year he was the world champ, he didn't win a freaking race that mattered until the world champs. Christ, I smoked him in a few races when I wasn't even running that well at the time myself. And I was like, man, he's really on it. What does he do? He comes back and lays it down when it counts. And nobody, nobody's going to take that away from him. So I think yeah. learning from your mistakes there is, I think, keeping your foot or your, your foot to the flame, I think, is is a good answer in that situation. If that is the situation where you don't feel ready, but you threw yourself in there anyways. Yeah. 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 You have to be emotional. You get you get 24 hours. Some people need 48. I like to say, take a day, be down on yourself, get it all out, and then say, okay, got that done. Let's get back to work. And I think that when you're debating something drastic, you need a sounding board. You need someone you can bounce that off of that is not attached to your situation. I talked about it with Lisa. She's a mm-hmm. fantastic confidant. She's a great sounding board, but she loves me as a wife as well as a runner. And she loves me as a wife more than she loves me as a runner, or she loves me myself as her husband more than she loves me as a runner. Mm-hmm. And so that love is going to drive her more than the pragmatic runner partner was going to drive her. She's not going to leave you if you don't finish in the top 10 or something in a race. No, but she would choose my happiness over a potential tweet optimizing a, a training plan if it was going to make me more potentially risk me being unhappy. You know, it's mm-hmm. she, she was the right person to talk to. She needed to be then balanced out by someone who has no connection to my emotional being, only cares about the black and white of the running portion of my life. And I didn't do that. I've had a few athletes recently come off races and say, all right, this is the one thing I was missing. It just really isn't there. And I'd like to focus on that a lot coming up every Saturday or every Tuesday. Let's do this one thing. And I would look at that and go, it's a great takeaway, but it can't be every Saturday and Tuesday, this one thing, because we're going to forget about the other pieces that got it so that there was only one piece missing. We're going to come back with three pieces missing replaced by one good thing. So you need someone who can be that sounding board. And I didn't choose enough sounding boards that were dispassionate about my emotions. Okay. Do you think in that situation, reaching out for others, people's thoughts and opinions is smart or is it better to sort it all out on your own? I think you have to sort it out yourself first because you've got to get it out. You have to know that your thoughts are your own. You have to come to the point where it's, I know what I need to do, or 
I think I should do this, but there's this option, or I know it's one of these two. You have to come to some sort of conclusion or half-baked conclusion so that you know how you feel about it and you're calm and you're not emotional about it anymore. And then I think you bring someone else in. And that could be a flight. That can be, if you've got a coach, that can be take the flight home or the drive home and get emotional and draw your conclusions. And then the next morning, call your coach and say, all right, let's talk. Or write up your email and say, here's what I'm thinking. What do you what do you want? But you've got mm-hmm. to start it yourself, I personally believe. And then the other person can know where you're coming from. A good, like if I had told you all these things, you are a good coach. You'd be able to to, to just fiddle through it all and say, all right, I see that this, this, and this are what's really bothering him. And these small mm-hmm. things down here are nonsensical, but he's kind of hung up on them. So we're just going to throw those out and focus on how to accurately do this. And we can't always do that with ourselves. So I think you start yourself and then you bring someone in to shoot holes in your theory. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. But I do think taking time to sit on it first before you make any decisions like canceling flights to your next race or mm-hmm. booking a race the next weekend to make up for what you did the last weekend. But like any of that, like chill for a few days. And we all know that you are not one race. Like you are not one race. One race does not define you as an athlete. And you also have to remind yourself that nobody really cares. Mm-hmm. Nobody really cares. Everybody's caught up in their own lives and they're so self-consumed. Even the most selfless people we know, the the most gracious people I know, still aren't at home dwelling about my shitty race. Like they're worried about themselves, right? So you just have mm-hmm. to like that's like such a self-imposed pressure that we put on ourselves as athletes, especially as you get closer to the front end of the field in the sport and you have expectations that you feel are on you. It's like, mm-hmm. nobody really cares. So like, what makes you happy? How do you feel about it? I think that's like the important thing. And then I think the other really important thing to do after, you know, the high emotions leave your body after you've realized that you didn't perform well is to lay out the facts first. So you don't get too confused, right? Like, lay out the facts. Like, let's say you raced Big Bear a week and a half ago and it's at elevation. It's on a mountain. It's traveling a four-hour flight if you're on the west or the east coast, five-hour flight. It's all these things. It's, you know, was work stressful? Was it not stressful? Like, lay out the facts first so you can be like, okay, can I, like, make sense of this at all first? I think that's important because you have people um, who potentially want to go and like rewrite the script after a race, Yes, which is, which is the last thing you should do. But what are they really basing it on? That's an emotional response, not a facts-based response. So I like listen out the facts. Like what are the facts about that race that caused it to go wrong? So let's use you. I like using you as an example with these failures, Bracken. What are the facts about Alabama? Let's just use you so people can relate uh, in their own way. What were the facts about Alabama that you didn't perform as well as you wanted to that year? First of all, before I say that, I want to say thank you for saying facts because that's Mm -hmm. so important to do. And it starts with your post-race recap or excuses. You are not allowed Mm -hmm. to post on social media or say things to people after the race with emotions unless it's humor. You are only allowed to post facts. I took eighth place, burned out early, went after it, more to come. That's it. Or eighth place, Mm -hmm. probably shouldn't have led the first mile. (laughs) Ha ha, move on. 
That's about mm-hmm. as emotional as you get to be <clears throat> because you can't backtrack from an excuse post, but what you can is read too far into it. So now yes. I will answer your question. Well, it's just, there's a big it. difference between facts and excuses and yes. And so you should, yeah, definitely clarify. Yes. And if you're not sure early on, put it in that maybe column and force yourself to move it to one or the other afterwards, but stick mm-hmm. to only proven facts early. So the facts were, I got out too hard, not too fast, too hard. I wasn't comfortable enough at that pace. And by comfortable, I don't mean feeling good. I mean, relaxed and smooth. And I was fighting for the speed rather than easing into it and letting it flow. And Mm -hmm. every step from the half mile to the mile, I lost a little bit of speed. So even though the final time was not too fast, the way I did it was wrong. So even though I met my goal of insert myself into the race, there were better ways of doing it. And that first mile clouds every subsequent mile because I did it slightly incorrect. It wasn't a huge misfire, but it wasn't perfect. So that's fact number one. Went out too fast. Got it. Fact number too hard. Too hard. Too hard. Sorry. Went out too fact hard. Fact number two, I'm capable of running fast enough to lead a race. There's a lot of times where you're not capable of running fast enough to lead a race. So mm-hmm. foot speed is not my issue. That's a fact. That probably could have been stated beforehand, but you have a couple bad races. You start looking at guys and think, I don't know if I could have gone with you for the first two miles if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Positive takeaway. I'm fast enough to do this. I wasn't efficient enough at that fast pace, but that's the kind of thing that can be built quicker than the ability like being able to run 510 pace isn't in the cards for some people or it takes a long time to get there being able to mm-hmm. run it but not efficiently you can shore that up in two weeks three weeks maybe not translate that to a full 10k but you can make it that you're burning less fuel and oxygen at 510 pace in just a few weeks a couple sessions so that was fact number two fact number three is I didn't practice enough non-basement obstacles prior to that race because obstacles where I had to get onto the ground or do a specific motion that I wasn't doing, if it wasn't pull-up based or like med ball based or lunge based, those type of obstacles took a lot out of me and I was holding my breath a little bit too much, I think. And that usually means you're not efficient at it. Mm -hmm. If you have to remind yourself to breathe, you haven't done that move enough. So barbed wire crawl, great example. Mm-hmm. I was not efficient and I didn't have choices to make during there because I was tired. How hard is it throw a few barbed wires or extra core plank work or however I want to get mountain climbers to get good at that? I just didn't right. have that in the training and it caught me at a time where I was right on the verge cardiovascularly and it tipped me right over. So yep. that fact is I was not prepared for the specifics of that race. And then the final fact is that if any of those have already gone wrong, no wonder I checked out. I hadn't done enough in training to be ready for it. I dug myself a big hole early. I can't put any stock in my fitness in miles two through seven because it was all overly compromised already. So it doesn't matter. Forget about that second half. Look at the first two miles. And that was where my race went wrong. I spent... 45 minutes hating miles two through seven, but Mm -hmm. it didn't 
it didn't show me any indication of fitness because if I wanted to start at 525, 530 and fade to 540, 545 and I settled right into 550, but during it, thinking it, I was thinking, ah, I should be running harder. Then that wasn't indicative of my fitness. That was indicative of the spot I was in and my mental uh, capacity at that time. Okay, so something very important. Yes. We laid out the facts. Very important step here. Now, I didn't hear any excuses there. You said I didn't prepare properly. Like somebody would have said, oh, the obstacles just blew me up, and I couldn't get back to my running afterwards. I can like, give one excuse like, if you want a good was, excuse. Yeah, well, sure. <laughs> if we wanted to make excuses, I would say I wore the wrong shoe. Mm. I Evo Jaws was the wrong shoe? No, I wore the Extreme that day. Okay. I, I brought the the IROC 3s and the Extremes, and I went with the IROC uh, because I wasn't sure I could do 10K in the IROCs. Sorry, I went with the Extreme because I wasn't sure that that minimal flexible IROC I could go in. And I spent those five miles thinking, it's just not as flexible of a shoe, and I like that on this terrain. And for me, that mm-hmm. platform is a little tippy on slightly rugged, smooth terrain. If I know it's nasty... I can run in it on technical stuff. If I know it's smooth, I can run it. But when it looks smooth and I trust the ground, I roll a little bit in those shoes if there's anything wrong. And because I wasn't so dialed in mentally, I spent the whole last five miles just thinking, oh, I wish I had lighter shoes on. (laughs) Did it change my race at all? No. The difference in two ounces in shoes did not change me as an athlete. It shows how checked out mentally I was that I was worrying about, oh, I wish I had lighter shoes because my shoes feel so heavy. Yeah, They're that not definitely heavy was the difference maker. Yeah. Yeah. So no, that's non that's an excuse that you could make that holds no water. Okay. Well we made okay, well, right. And so we made our list of facts. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if we could go back and be like, all right, Brack, and that week we made our list of facts and now we know like the week after the yeah. race, we made a list of facts. Like these are the facts. And also the fact was you didn't mentally stay engaged, obviously. That was yeah. also an issue. Um, so what do you do with the facts then? Like, what do you do with your facts, your post-race facts? How do you, how do you manage those? Well, what I did was look and say, currently I'm probably in 1630 shape. That's not good enough to go out at 510 pace in a 10 K. I don't belong racing unless I believe I can win. And I know I can't win until I'm easily sub 16. I got to be 15 mid forties or under. So I don't belong back out on a course until x mm-hmm. that that was the conclusion i drew okay i don't like that conclusion i don't like it either looking back on it i like no. it as a that target needs to always be on my wall am i am i in is this training plan going to get me to sub 16 shape but the i'm not there right now i'm not allowed to there's no space for that so i don't like right. i don't like that conclusion i drew well so why well, either do I? Yeah. And I think, I think the thing I'm sort of getting at here is like when people, after you lay out your race facts, maybe it is, I live at sea level and I race at altitude. I only have my Nordic track to train on hills instead of real hills. So the descending crushed me that you start listing them up. Okay. These are the yep. facts. Now, can I, can I paint a picture and understand why my performance went the way it did? Or am I truly throwing my hands in the air? Right? Yeah. Like I thought I did everything well enough yet I'm not happy, or I know I didn't. Now I know I didn't train properly, but the outcome was still not favorable. So you kind of have two camps. Like, I thought I did everything right and still shit the bed, or like, well, 
I can understand why these parts of the race didn't go well, and that's why I didn't perform to my yeah. ability. So I think there's those can be blurred, but usually you're going to fall into one, two, one or two of those camps, right? Yeah, and, and something I was doing a lot at the time was I was reading a lot of that threshold work, and one of the people I was interested in was Tom Schwartz. He goes by the nickname Tin Man. He coached the Tin Man mm-hmm. Elite team, which has since disbanded. He's had a lot of success with runners, but one of the things he always talks about is doing no, – I, I want to make sure I get this right. It was one – is either he did talk about it or he didn't, so I don't want to misattribute this to him. But if I'm remembering correctly, he does his threshold while he's fresh and then has his athletes finish up with speed finishers. And so I started that, that winter in early spring with – standard six mile cut down runs and thresholds into fast twos and fours afterwards and that was my primary speed work for the time but i was running them on the twos and fours on technical terrain so i wasn't paying attention to pace i was just going effort Mm -hmm. and a good takeaway would have been all right all my threshold work all my speed work has been done in a cut down manner i've been starting at on sloppy ground 620 cutting down to 550 and holding and then i'll do some twos and fours at the end but what happened in the race i got out at 510 515 settled the 550s and then felt crappy doing that and like i didn't have a whole lot of left that i wanted to without costing me a ton but at the end when you and botrus and a couple people caught me i scooted ahead did a tire fast and close to the finish Mm -hmm. so I kind of did what I prepared to do, except for starting fast. I was able to settle down to 550s and run semi-comfortably there. It hurt, but it was comfortably hard knowing I should be running harder. But when I needed to, I could have my fast finisher. So a real easy tweak would be to start moving some fours and maybe some sixes to the start of the workout, get used to running fast and having a deficit, and then move into my threshold work. At the very least, every other workout, if not for a couple weeks in a row to get the ball moving. That would have been a realistic reaction because that doesn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. That doesn't change directions to, oh, no, I got to do a speed block. It's let's manipulate the variables in the same lane I've been working in. That would have been a smarter coach than I was at the time manipulating my variables rather than saying, well, you got to do a full rebuild and get your speed back. We've learned a lot over these past few years, haven't we? We yeah. always will. Mm-hmm. So that's, well, that's one sort key of, takeaway. Well, that's sort of like you led me into sort of the point I wanted. One of the points I wanted to get into was like, okay, if you went out and had a bad race and you can actually lay out facts that help you make sense of it, if you can, mm-hmm. can make sense of it. I got sick. I slept three hours, two nights in a row before the race. Like those are facts. Those are also can be excuses, but they're facts, right? What do you do after that race is you, you get back home and you're like, Ugh. like, I really think like there are facts at hand here that factored into my poor performance. You don't change a thing. You don't go and rewrite the script. What are you going to do? Move to altitude if you don't live at altitude? Probably not for most people, right? You're not going to mm-hmm. be able to control most of those circumstances and you got sick or whatever it was. You don't rewrite the script. You don't go and question your worth as an athlete or should I even be doing this? You're not one race. You are not one race. So you get back to it. You go right back to the plan that's shown you, like, you you know that you're on something good and this was a fluke, right? Like, this was not your best day and you can't come up with anything. So I say, stay the course. 
The other one, the excuse camp, the one where you're like, I can't really make sense of this. That's not really the excuse camp, I guess, necessarily, but like, I can't really make sense of this. I thought I did everything right. I thought my training was on point. I got good sleep. I ate well. I felt good about this. And I still went out there and just couldn't hang. I fell apart. I wasn't where I needed to be. That's the person, first of all, who doesn't go necessarily completely rewrite the script, but at some point, if this is a consistent theme for you, then you want to take a harder look like Bracken just was talking about with his training saying like, well, how could I get myself more prepared for where I simply just wasn't good enough? Yeah. And, and you have one of two things, but I think the last thing that you do as a knee jerk reaction is think that whatever you've been doing isn't working and that you need to completely subscribe to a new style of training or a new approach. Like you are not one race, no matter if you're in the excuse camp or the fact camp. Mm-hmm. However, if you really thought you did everything correctly and you weren't nearly as good as you wanted to be, then it's time to maybe like really self-reflect and have that real conversation like you're talking about with yourself and say, all right, well, what can I change? What can I fix? How do I move the needle now? And so I feel like you end up in one of those two camps after, after a a disappointing race. Yeah. And then you take a look at where are you supposed to be right now? Is this the end-all, be-all race, or are you Mm -hmm. at a point in your training progression? So I had been doing a lot of threshold work with some short-speed finishers. I'm talking 4x400 finishers or 8x200. That's not speed work in its truest sense. Those are little speed sprinkles, Kirk. No, those speed sprinkles. Sprinkles. So I would have said, what is the next logical thing to get faster in your training progression? You do your base work, you do some threshold work, and you start adding more speed in. If I think I'm at a 1620 or 1635K off of four weeks or six weeks of threshold work, and most of it was cut downs, not even like threshold intervals or or steady tempos. It was cut down runs, which is the shallow end of the threshold pool. Mm-hmm. It it's makes the feel sense. good, feel good end of the threshold pool. Yeah. But it makes sense that I wasn't at my fastest. But what's the quickest way to get sub-16 at that point without scrapping things? Or even if you wanted to scrap things. Is it to say, listen, I got to step away and rebuild this thing? Or is it to add in some speed now and see how that stacks on top of the threshold? Mm -hmm. Why as a coach could I not look at myself and say, yeah, dummy, you just did off-season and you're six weeks into cut-down work. Let's add in some faster work. And if you don't want to go crazy, let's add in some 10K work and then add in a little bit of compromised running. You didn't do any compromised running. Is it really that hard to believe that a gauntlet at mile one hurt you when you hadn't done compromised running? No, that wouldn't be that hard to believe. You might only be six weeks away from sub 16. Let's add in some speed work, add in some compromised retest and then run another race. Rather than say, mm-hmm. I'm going to disappear into the woods for a while, reestablish some base. You don't need base right now. You need to turn mm-hmm. the wheels over a little. That understanding where you are supposed to be clarifies whether you failed or not. Looking back, taking ninth and then eighth at two super distance races at the national level, at a North American level against really good guys at coming off of basically transitional base work is a really encouraging start to a year. Mm-hmm. Because who was around me? Brian Gawiski, Kirk DeWint, Johnny Luna Lima, 
all people who have since gone top five in national series races, one who has since won multiple national series races, and one who took, was he third or fourth at Jacksonville the year I moved out? Uh, who? Gowiski. He ended up fourth. Fourth. So all these people had success shortly after (laughs) these races where we're fighting for sixth through tenth. One of them didn't have any success. And it was the person who stopped showing up to the race. (laughs) Precisely. So, yeah, I overreacted and I forgot where I was supposed to be in that moment. If you wanted to build someone a 5K PR training plan, would you do base, transitional base, race week? (laughs) Would that be, in any world, the smart way of PRing? No. So why would I expect that I should be in 5K PR shape right now? It's just, it was bad thinking. It was decent conclusions based off bad logic. I had the wrong facts in front of me, Kirk. Yeah, when you're your own coach, though, it's like hard hard to read the words when the page is too close yeah. to your face, right? It's just like one of those situations. You could see it. If you step back, it took the 10,000-foot view, of course, but that's just how it goes. It really is. That's, I think, always going to be a challenge for a self-coached person, to be honest with you. Well, and even um, for a not self-coached person, it's the reason why when when you write things in school or as an author, you can't proof your own work for the final copy. Right. Because you already know what's there. You wrote it. You see what you intend to see. You're not objective. You can't proofread your own writing. And you can't proofread your own training. You can try. You can get the big picture usually, but you need someone else to come in and do it. And I was haughty. I was arrogant. I thought I knew better. And I wanted to encourage the narrative that I just wasn't right. And I I can get right. And then I'll be back. Mm -hmm. All of it's bad. Let's talk about, um, let's talk about the one. So you'll see this a lot. You'll see somebody have a bad race. They think it's like for lack of fitness, like my fitness just wasn't where it needed to be, which can be the case. But more often than not, Bracken, what do I find it is? You're just too damn fatigued. And you actually haven't freshened up enough for the for the event. And so you'll see somebody have a bad race and they go run themselves into the dirt the next week. I'm going to punish myself by training extra hard. My first recovery run ain't going to look like a recovery run. I'll tell you what, look at that heart rate graph. It turned into a threshold run immediately. And they just churn and churn and think they can outwork their bad performance somehow, which ends up leading them even more dull and more frustrated you see that very often. I would argue, like I just mentioned, that most people, when they come off of a bad performance, especially on the, the top end of the elite and pro field and maybe top of the age group field, it's really because like you just had to squeeze in that last long run the week before the race, didn't you? You just had to compulsively get your miles in. You couldn't back off quite enough. Your training hasn't caught up with you yet. Your fatigue level is still higher than the new fitness that you're trying to earn. And you know what's usually best after a bad race? Take a damn break. Mm -hmm. And it might be the last thing you want, but you know what? Maybe you don't run Sunday through Wednesday and you just reset. I don't care if you feel bad for yourself the whole time or you don't. But I often find that people think more work is the answer after a bad race, and there are plenty of cases in which that is true. But more often than not, it's the exact opposite of that. And it's like, go do anything but this for the next four days. I don't know if you remember this. I won't forget this conversation I had with you. I was at the uh, original Tough Mudder X 
and talk about laying an egg. I had just started, um, like I had buddies come in, like my, my buddy Nick came in to watch. It was the first Tough Mudder accident. It was a huge deal. I went on the news the morning before on CBS here with Hunter McIntyre, who I'd met for the first time there to, to talk about it. And I was one of the local favorites and da da da. And I was in there, you know, stroking my own ego and, um, and then went to the race the next day. I was one of the 40 people they picked, right? And they focused on me because I was a local guy. And they never aired any of it because I laid an egg, by the way. But, and little did we know, I had MRSA at the time. I had a staph infection, which you know, and I announced. But I didn't know that yet. I was feeling sick, but I didn't think I was that sick. Anyways, I called you on the way home because you were, I think you did get invited and you chose not to go, or did, correct? Yeah. And so you had some had FOMO. Yeah, you had some FOMO with the events. So you wanted to hear about it right away. And and I didn't finish the race in the time cap, which was 20 minutes, I think. I timed out. And I, it was the worst I've ever felt my entire life in a race. ever. I don't think I'll ever feel that way again. Hence, I was a week into a systemic staph infection. But didn't know it at the time. On the way home, I called you, and you, like, talked me off the ledge. You were my coach at the time, so I think I was still paying you to coach me. Um, and you said – take a break, man. Don't do anything the next few days. Like do, I don't know if you remember that advice you gave me, but it was like, don't do anything, do nothing. And you want to know what I did? I did nothing for four days and I came back and I took top 10 of my first U S national series race, the first race back in West Virginia, less than a month later after taking four or five days off, it helped that I got rid of the MRSA. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. But however, I took a break worried about my fitness for a race a month later. That break did me more good than harm. And that's what I needed at the time. Here I was thinking I wasn't in shape enough to handle the demands of that race. It was the exact opposite. I needed a break. So anyways, I just personally have lived that a number of times. And you told me that in the car as I was all defeated on the way home. And I took a break. Best thing I could have done. Well, that goes right back to the facts. We had to look at the facts. And when you're concerned that you need to do more, you have to take a look at the facts of your training. And I could look at all your training. And I'd watched your training coming in, and I knew on paper you were fit. What yeah. that means is that I've seen I just ran work. like 1540 in a 5K on the roads nonchalantly like the two weeks yeah. before. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you were fit. You're strong. You were doing well in workouts. You were ready for a Spartan Super, mm -hmm. and TMX was kind of out of left field. But you're a strong gym guy, so we thought you would translate well. But all the facts said that you were ready for something big. They mm -hmm. didn't say you have glaring holes in training. So generally when people fade late in a race, they didn't have quite enough fitness. They're good, but they didn't have quite enough fitness. So that's when you rest up and you go and you build a little bit more fitness after looking at the facts of where you could have extended more fitness and training. If you can't go from the start, you're either severely undertrained or you're a little overcooked listen it was me and hunter mcintyre coming into the sandbag cleans together i really cooked hot but yeah but <laughs> nonetheless what that means is that it, it wasn't was a, bad a fitness idea. thing right you were capable of leading for a bit the people that 400 meters in were out of it or one station and were out of it they were either severely undertrained or they were overcooked but the people mm. like they've trained too much the people that could do it for a while and fade you just need a little bit more fitness usually or you need a little bit more rest. So 
analyzing, did I hang on for eight of 10 miles in a race and fade? That might be a little overcooked or it might be a little over fitness. I mean, a little under fitness, but it's not a throw out like this huge, don't throw flares into the sky and send an SOS. If you couldn't go from mile one of a 10 mile, now there's an SOS. You're either mm-hmm. way overtrained or way undertrained. So you have to look at the facts of what did I actually do in training and ask yourself in advance of that what would I be afraid to see in someone else's training plan? Mm-hmm. What would I say, this is adequate training for this race. This is this is a contender. And set those numbers up and then ask again your counterpart, your sounding board, what, what do you think would be necessary for someone of my caliber and my training history? What would have been a good lead-in? And then look at your lead-in. And if you're pretty close to that, it wasn't a fitness thing. You're either mm-hmm. too tired or you need to reassess your goals. Yeah. It's like it's like if you're in the camp where you're like, I just didn't have it from the start. I felt like junk from stride one, or I got five minutes in and was like, today's not my day. Guess what? Your answer is probably you're too tired. Yeah. And if you went out there and you ran, you're like, I felt pretty good for a while, and then it just smacked me. Like then I then you know what? You're probably a little under fitness, but you're not too tired. If the majority of the race you felt good. And then it smacked you or you simply just couldn't hang on at some point and you went from feeling pretty good to just feeling like the, you know, the boat, boat anchor or piano on your back. Well, that's not a case for rest. That's a case for working on your fitness. But the one who went out and was flat from the start, you messed up somewhere in there and you're under recovered. That's my opinion. So take those into, into consideration, like after your bad race, so to speak. I'm curious what your experience is, but when I am out of shape, I genuinely feel decent for like five to 10 minutes and I'll think, whoa, I'm, I'm faster than I thought I was. I have a decent start to a race when I'm out of shape and then it catches up. But when I'm overcooked in training, I feel heavy from step one, no matter how out of shape I am. If I didn't run for six months and went out to try to PR a 5k, my first half mile or so, I'd probably feel okay. And then I'd realize I've made a terrible mistake. Mm-hmm. But if I was just sluggish from training, I might not get any juice from the gun. And when you don't get any juice from the gun, you know you've got some residual fatigue in you. Yep. And you may look at your training plan and be like, I'm only running 30 miles a week. And all these pros are running these crazy 70, 80, 100 mile weeks. Like, I'm not overtrained. Well, maybe you're wrong. And maybe your life stressors, like, like I can be overtrained and run 30 miles a week if I'm cooking too hot on every quality day, mm-hmm. not getting enough sleep in between workouts and work is crazy for example like there's a lot of factors into there so just don't think because i only run 30 miles a week that i can't possibly be too tired going into a race that also is no indicator by the way of like should you like are you over or under trained for you or under recovered for your race like um that's not the case and a lot of you are in that boat i know you have families and lives and jobs and you you squeeze in your 30 miles a week and that's going to have to do so how could you possibly be too tired going into a race that doesn't make you exempt from that scenario yeah yeah get that across there this is turning into a long episode but there is one more piece of this i want to talk about do you have more you want to talk about i got seven minutes of freedom so whatever we can do with that okay i think you have to prove everything a second time before you make drastic decisions so if you got done with a race and you bombed and you said that you know what these goals were totally wrong i am not this athlete and i'm not going to be i just need to give up on that or this happened this is just the wrong distance race for me i think you have to prove it i think you have to make the easy modifications those low-hanging fruit that 
Annandale, Minnesota is calling me. What would that be, Kirk? I don't know. That's right. It's just north of me here. It's right. Not You're sure. The only Minnesota I need in my life right now. Oh. You have to prove it. If you're going to make a drastic decision, you got to try to work it out first. The first fight you have as a married couple, you don't get to get divorced. The first time something big comes up, you got to at least try marriage counseling first. Because there might be a real easy answer sitting there. You might just be having a bad week. But you don't just get to divorce right away. You don't get to break up with him or her right away. You don't get to throw in the towel on a season right away. You've got to say, what did I do wrong? What could I have done better? Do it better and prove it to yourself. Let's say that your goal was top 10 at a U.S. National Series race or in your age group at your local 5K. I don't care what it is. Break three hours in a marathon. And you go out and you run 3.30 and you come back and go, wow, I found some low-hanging fruit in my 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 uh, my training calendar, but I'm never going to be a sub-three-hour marathoner. I'm just going to go back to 5Ks. Now go make the changes in your training and try it one more time. It is so hard to nail a race. It's so difficult to. And if one factor's off, a lot of times it has that butterfly effect. It impacts everything. And if it's, a, it's something that impacts your strength, now you're out of it. If the thing you're good at's impacted by that butterfly effect, now you throw the whole race out the window and say, it doesn't matter. I'll go prove it again next time. But you cannot make a drastic decision off of one data point. Yeah, I could not agree more. In fact, I don't even know if sometimes two is enough. I think you can even get you, you could stretch it out to three if you had to. Yeah. Well, I start but people with two. <laughs> well, I agree, then, right. Let's hope two, number two is a good one, but yes. I don't want to say, listen, you got to try five more times. <laughs> Let's get you out there one more time and then we'll see. And usually there's a takeaway from that. And then you got the scent of it and now you can start making a good decision. But yeah, some, pe- some people do have bad goals. They have unrealistic, unattainable goals, but mm-hmm. you can't know that until you've actually turned over the stones. Can't just no. kick the first one over and be like, ah, oh, there's nothing there. I'm, I'm done. This was dumb. You got to kick them all over. Yep. Yes, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I think there's um, I think there's a camp of people that are, I, I think after series races, you're always going to have a camp of people that are, are feeling one way or another about their performances. And I think there's a few people out there listening that probably have started to rejig their, their upcoming weeks when they shouldn't have. And there's some people who are continuing down the same path they've been training and they actually need to maybe play puppeteer a little bit with what they're doing. So, um, and have you ever really like, really, if you, I'm trying to think when I've like really had even two bad races in a row, like two real bad ones, like almost always just showing up. Even if you got to drag your tail a little bit to the next one, there's some factor there that like happens intrinsically where you're, it's like, you're not capable of going and shit in the bed again. You're just not like, it's like showing up to that start line. The next time is almost always a good decision. I can't think of one. You are consistent in training. Nothing drastic ever will have to happen. Right. Micro changes. If you're consistent, then you can make accurate decisions. You won't have two really bad races in a row. The only time I've had two bad races was at Campbell University in my freshman year. And I was so deep underwater. Mm-hmm. My mental fatigue and my physical fatigue and my body breakdown was so drastic. I strung three or four bad races together. Did just you just couldn't get out of that well of fatigue. I couldn't even access any of the work I put in because it was burying me. It was drowning me. Yeah. It, it just, it was terrible. It was like I had built the greatest inflatable lifeboat ever. 
And when I jumped over the side, it didn't inflate and it was just pushing me underwater. <laughs> like I, I worked so hard on this thing and it's the thing that's drowning me. Mm-hmm. I couldn't even access the one piece that I needed, which was inflate the thing because I was so swamped by it. Just swallowed up. That's exactly how I felt. I felt like I was drowning for like mm-hmm. a semester straight. And it took getting injured to refresh me. So you just, if you're consistently smart, you won't run into months of bad racing. You'll have a bad one yeah. and then you can make a micro adjustment. Exactly. So basically don't throw in the towel. Anybody out there that's thinking about doing it. Don't be beating yourself up too hard. Just lay out the facts, lay out your perceived excuses, make your decisions based on all of those things. And who cares what I think? Who cares what Bracket thinks? Who cares what anybody else in your age group or your mom or dad think? They might care a little more than the average person, I suppose. But you get yeah. the point. Nobody cares. It's just work on you. Stay in your lane. Stay in your lane is really the biggest thing. Um, okay, we have to wrap this up, even if you have more talking points. I'm cutting us no. off. No. Um, we asked last week, and, and you guys delivered. We broke 500 reviews on – I saw an Apple podcast. I think we were at like 509 or something, so we had maybe another – I don't know, 15 come in and some written reviews. So thank you. That's what we asked for. You guys, you guys always show up. I feel like every time we ask the good people, the running public deliver. So appreciate taking the time. Those who went in there and, and wrote reviews for us. Tomorrow we're recording a race brain episode. Yes. And Look I am ill-equipped. <laughs> You're ill-equipped. Well, I watched the Savage Race coverage, and it was not in coverage. I didn't learn anything from the coverage. It was the, it was videos of bushes. So uh, I don't know how the race unfolded, so we'll just throw darts at the wall and see what sticks tomorrow is what Let's I think. Just throw darts at Jack. Let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> when in doubt, just start trash talking. We'll be fine. It's yeah, good advice. It's good life advice right there, actually. Yeah, I'm going to tour the Guinness uh, storefront tomorrow. Ah, have fun right, right before the episode so that's what i'll be seeing you after all right well i expect uh yeah glory then coming out of your mouth it will be all right <laughs> see you later good seeing you again kirk good seeing you, you not well, with sir. other people yeah likewise <laughs>